Amen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Brian. I am uh, one of your pastors here. And we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 5 once again this morning. Uh, we're going to kick it off with uh, verse 4. And if you remember last week, uh, we talked about the Beatitudes. Uh, Pastor Brock uh, opened us in that, in uh, the first Beatitude. And if you remember, that is uh, a portion of a much larger uh, section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, these uh, Beatitudes are pronouncements. They're statements of truth describing those who are blessed in the kingdom. These are not commandments to follow but rather descriptions of blessed citizens in the kingdom of God. Last week, uh, Brock uh, brought the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for those, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who have owned their spiritual poverty, who recognize that they literally have nothing to offer a holy God, are blessed because they will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Now, in verse 4, we move on to uh, the emotional response for the one who has owned his or her spiritual poverty. Mourning. Chapter 5, verse 4 says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we begin this morning, I I have to say, I'm coming to you out of a scripture that is very real and very present. For our family. Many of you know uh, our daughter Caitlin was uh, taken out of the nine o'clock service on Mother's Day um, as she had a seizure. Never had any seizures before, no history, uh, no family. Um, and here's Pastor Brock preaching about what it looks like to serve one another as we work for Christ, and uh, suddenly my daughter. Uh, loses consciousness and is lifted out of her seat and carried out into the lobby and is sitting there unconscious for five or six minutes. So that's kicked off the last few weeks of CT scans and blood work and EEGs and MRIs and every other acronym and doctors and uh, it has been challenging. About 10 days ago, uh, we were sitting in our discipleship group, gathered around in our living room, and our daughter had another seizure. This is the waters in which we swim right now. And so I got to be completely honest with you uh, when I say that we are, and I am, emotionally and physically spent, tired, exhausted, scared. I'm not okay. And in so many ways, we're not okay. But in some ways that are very real, we are okay. And I recognize for uh, many of you, you're swimming in much deeper waters. And you have been for a long time much more challenging circumstances than the ones I've just described, and you're not okay. And the truth from God's word today doesn't make it okay. But there's some really, really good news. As I was wrestling through this, 
one of the things that came to mind is this idea that when things are good, God is good. And when things are bad, but we're just kind of quiet. And I realized that we spend so much time in our lives, so much energy trying to stay above this line, this I'm fine line. And when it goes below, we don't quite know what to do. So much energy is expended trying to make sure that my life is still good, that my life is fine, that I'm going to be okay. And yet, in this scripture, Matthew 5, verse 4, God says, this is blessed. So let's pray and dive right in. God, we know that you are good on the mountaintop and you are good in the valley. Help us to see that in your word this morning. That's it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, Matthew 5, 4 says, those who mourn are indeed blessed. And the starting point for that is mourning begins with the recognition of our need, but it ends with a beautiful view of who God is. And the first part of that is this, number one, in our mourning, we feel our need. When we mourn, when we experience that deep emotional pain that is mourning over something, we are feeling the gap between what is and what we think should be. And it's not just an intellectual acknowledgement that it, this is and I think this should be. It is that deep emotional pain that what is is not what I wish it was. When we mourn the loss of a loved one, it's grief saying, I wish they should be here. When we mourn a diagnosis, what we're saying is, I wish she wasn't sick. When we mourn our own sin, what we're saying is, I wish my heart didn't desire this. And almost all of us would say those are universally bad feelings. But Jesus is saying this, mourning is the right response to a broken world. Several months ago, we went through uh, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter one, God creates the heavens and the earth and all the rest of it, and it was good. In Genesis chapter two, we zoom in on the creation of Adam and Eve, and God says it was very good. In Genesis three, we see sin and brokenness and pain enter the world, and for the first time, it's not good. And all the pain and all the suffering and everything else that we experience can be traced back to that moment. 
both our sin and our need for a savior and every other pain from the aches in my joints to the intense grief over the loss of a loved one, all of it can be traced back to that moment. And that's what mourning is. Mourning is my emotional response to sin and brokenness in the world. Now, can you imagine a world without that response? On the one hand, it seems pretty nice. But then we'd never know of our need. You imagine a child who uh, touches something that's hot, sticks his hand in the fire, and immediately he knows, that's not good for me. The pain response leads him to the right behavior. It's one of the reasons that leprosy is so bad is it actually numbs and kills off the nerve endings. And so you can have your hand in fire for ages and never know that your flesh is wasting away. Now imagine that we didn't have this emotional response of mourning. We would never know how badly we need Jesus Christ. Our souls would be dead, our hearts would be wicked and rotten, and we would go about our lives completely unaware. Mourning crushes that. There is no mourning in a world without sin, and mourning is the right emotional response when my life is confronted with the consequence of sin and brokenness in this world. We recognize that we have a need. And there are examples of this in scripture. The first and the foundational for all of this, and I think when Jesus is teaching and he's moving us from the poor in spirit to blessed are those who mourn, there's this foundation, this underpinning of recognition of my own sin. We see that uh, exemplified in Psalm 51. When David, broken over his sin, pours out this psalm of lament and mourning, And so we can't talk about mourning and the uh, terrible circumstances in the world if we don't start with the recognition that we are poor in spirit and that should break our hearts. That's not the only example we see in scripture. We also see it uh, when Jesus in Luke 19 weeps over Jerusalem. He's weeping over sin and brokenness in the world. He's saying, "I, I wish that Jerusalem was what She will be, but today she's not, and he weeps. We see Paul in Romans tell us to uh, mourn over the pain and suffering of others. Mourn with those who mourn. And then we see an entire book dedicated to the pain and suffering of a single man in Job. It's interesting, if I wanted to spend much more time here, we could dive into more scriptures, and you will see very few scriptures that talk about mourning your own pain and suffering. And you will see a lot of scriptures that talk about mourning your own sin. And so while I think that Jesus is talking about all of these, recognize that the first and starting point, the foundation, is mourning our own sin. But so often we choose not to mourn. I don't want to feel anything bad. 
We're little pride factories that don't want to acknowledge any need. Or for those of us that are Christians, sometimes we say, I need Jesus Christ for salvation, but everything else I'm good. And so we don't want to acknowledge the fullness of our needs, so we lie to ourselves and others by simply saying, it'll be fine. I think there's a couple of different behaviors that we uh, adopt in order to not feel the pain of mourning. And the first is this. Instead of mourning, we choose coping. So if that circle is the troubles that you face, the mourning that you should uh, move forward into, so often we learn these patterns of behavior that allow us to avoid it. We just go around it. We don't ever deal with it, we don't ever move through it, we just learn how to live with it. But when that happens, what you'll find is you're often right back at the same point. When this is sin, you'll find yourself going to other sin. When this is trouble and grief and pain and all of those things, you'll find yourself coming back to it. Another way we do this is uh, by ignoring it or avoiding it. My youngest son was not the greatest at hide and seek. And what he would do is he would literally go into his closet, he would open the door and he had this, like, this massive pile of stuffed animals and he would just plant his face right into it. <laughs> and that would be him hiding. Now for him, he's hiding. He's avoiding it. He can't see anything else, but for the rest of us, we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is foolishness. And so often that's the way it is with our mourning, with our pain. We think that we can just avoid it. And the rest of us are going, do you not see what's happening? Instead of mourning, often we choose despair. Now, some of you would say you don't choose despair, you just end up there, but I don't think that's true. Despair is when you get crushed by your sin and your mourning and the circumstances and you can't move out of it. That's not what God has for you either. Now, as we talk about the importance of mourning, I don't want you to think that the application of this is now go be sad. There's no spiritual value in being miserable. There's nowhere in scripture that says those who are most spiritual are most miserable. It's not a command. However, is an acknowledgement that when your life is confronted with the reality of your own sin, when your life is confronted with the reality of sin and brokenness in the world, when your life is confronted with pain and suffering in others and in yourself, the right response is to allow yourself to mourn. And we allow ourselves to mourn because the promise is coming. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn because they shall be comforted. So number one, in our morning we feel our need. Number two, in our need we experience God's comfort. 
We experience God's comfort. The word here uh, in the Greek, and I, and I promise this isn't just a nerd out, I, I think it's fruitful, uh, is uh, parakaleo. And the first part of that is para, which means um, uh, alongside, and the second part of that is to be called alongside. And so when we think about comfort, when God says you will be comforted, what that means is there will be one who comes alongside. It carries with it this implication of counsel, consolation, encouragement, exhortation, urging to Christ to comfort. It looks like this. Instead of coping or avoiding or despairing, comfort brings another alongside through the trouble, through the morning. Comfort is the response of God that brings peace to my soul. like a salve to a burn, like calm to raging rapids, comfort is to the morning soul. Comfort doesn't change circumstances. Comfort doesn't solve problems. Comfort changes the state of my heart in the midst of those circumstances. Comfort says it's not okay, but that's okay. So if mourning is the right response to my own sin and brokenness in the world and comfort is God's response that brings peace to my soul, where does this comfort come from? And I know like kids, you're not supposed to have your favorite. A pastor, I don't know if I'm supposed to have a favorite part of this message, but this is it. Comfort comes through, number one, the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 14 Verse 16, as Jesus is ending his ministry and uh, days away from the death, burial, and resurrection, he says this to his disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That helper is the Holy Spirit. In that word there, the word Helper is parakletos. Literally, Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is the one who is called alongside. So in your darkest moments, when you feel like the world is spinning out of control, when you are crushed and everything you've ever known is collapsing around you, God is with you. God himself is called to your side. You are not alone. You are never alone. And in your deepest pain, God is with you. As I was preparing this week, I was studying and I was wrestling through the churnings of my own soul, which are not quite quiet yet. To see that God himself is the one who is called alongside led me to just break down. I've never cried over a dictionary. 
But that God is the one who is called alongside is so comforting. And he's comforting you and he's reminding you of the truth of his own words. Number two, comfort comes through the word of God. Jesus continues in that same passage, John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In the moments of darkness, of deep mourning, when you allow yourself to feel that full breadth of human emotion, the Holy Spirit himself will call to mind the words of God to bring comfort. Psalm 119.50 says this, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Psalm 94, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 37, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Psalm, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 6. Paul, after, says he was fighting within and fighting without, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his com- coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. The word of God brings comfort. But do you see what else Paul is revealing in that passage? He says he's comforted by the coming of Titus. Number three, comfort comes through the people of God. God brings comfort to his people through his people. In 2 Corinthians chapter one, Paul says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. God comforts us so that we may be a comfort to others. This doesn't work if we're disconnected. This doesn't work if we're disobedient. Think of comfort like a flowing river. Each bend benefits from the water, the comfort that is flowing. Comfort is not a swamp that stagnates. Like it flows just to one place and then it sits there. That's gross. We don't receive comfort to hoard it. We receive comfort to give it. In 30 years of following Christ or more and in 15 years of ministry, one of the things that's grieved me about the church in general 
is how uncomfortable we are with discomfort. We're not very comfortable with the pain of others. At the beginning of the message, when I said I'm not okay, some of you were really uncomfortable by that. I don't know if it's because it shakes our own faith that it's difficult for us to see others in pain. I don't know if it's because we, don't, we feel like we don't know what to do. And I'm not saying that this is exclusively true. But see what would happen if you walked out to the lobby and said to somebody, I, I'm not okay. It's going to get awkward. It's because we're not used to it. It's because we spend so much time trying to convince ourselves and others that this is where we are. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself. We have the words of God, and yet we shy away, or we do drive-by comfort. Comfort from a loved one, comfort from a, a brother or sister in Christ isn't drive-by. Sometimes we want the, uh, to comfort in a way that costs us nothing. And when we do, that's exactly what it's worth. Be willing to sit with people in their misery. Point them gently and lovingly to Jesus Christ. Be the one who is still, who is calm, who is wholeheartedly for them and pushing them to Jesus Christ. Because when it happens, Godly comfort from a brother or sister in Christ is like a fire hose to the raging inferno of your soul. And I pray that that would be true of our church. In some of the darkest times of my life, I have known the comfort of God and I have known that God was there because he sent his people. I've shared the story before of losing uh, six close family members in eight years, starting with my dad when I was 22. I remember standing in a um, walk-in closet, crying, and saying to my wife, I feel like God is taking away everything that I love. But I also remember the Holy Spirit comforting me when people were praying. When I found out that my dad had passed away, my roommate came home and just literally sat there for like six hours. We stared at a wall. I have no idea what he said, but I know he was there. And in the past five weeks, some of you have sat with us and cried with us and prayed over us. So despite all the pain, I'm thankful that God has allowed those circumstances. I'm thankful for his comfort because through his comfort, I know him more. 
And that's number three. In our mourning, we feel our need. In our need, we experience God's comfort. And in his comfort, we know him more. God's comfort amidst our mourning moves us from will he to he will. In God's comfort amidst our mourning, it moves us from is he to he is. We can believe that God is comforting. We can even have conviction that he will be comforting. But when you've experienced, you know that God is comforting. It's a deep in your soul, unshakable knowledge. Why does the psalmist say in Psalm 37, I once was young, but now I'm old? I mean, aside from the fact that people, well, never mind. <laughs> I'm getting old and I feel it. And sometimes I say it. There's a reason he says, I once was young, but now I'm old. And the reason is he has more life experience. When you're young and you go through a difficult circumstances, uh, you have a few bricks in that wall. When you're old and you've been through those circumstances and repeatedly God has comforted you and come through, you have an entire fortress of conviction that this is who God is. See, he is God here, and he is God here, but I tend to listen and pay a lot better attention when I'm there. And there is an entire section of his character that I will never know, that I will never experience, unless I acknowledge that I'm here. How do you know of his kindness? How do you know of his faithfulness? How do you know of his goodness? The comfort of God reveals God's character. His goodness, his faithfulness, his unchanging nature, he never changes, his word never grows old, his promises are sure. In Hebrews 6, one of those passages that has been a brick in my wall for many years, the writer says this, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, when we swear in, we put our hand on the Bible and we say, swearing on something greater than ourselves. God himself had nothing greater to swear by. So he swore by himself. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes is final for confirmation. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. When the waters of your life are raging and you're tossed on it like a tiny little boat, this is the sure and steadfast anchor 
that God is unchanging. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone on a forerunner on our behalf. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, the unchanging character of God with us always, exemplified and sealed by his son, Jesus Christ. We mourn because we are desperate sinners living in a broken world, but God brings comfort because he is the God of comfort. So where we land today is that when your life is experiencing the consequences of your own sin or the brokenness of this world. It is okay to mourn. You don't have to pretend that you're okay, especially not among the people of God. Because when you're not okay, and when you acknowledge that, and when you allow yourself to feel the full depth of the emotions, comfort floods in comfort from the presence of the Holy Spirit, comfort from God's word, and comfort from his people. Because God is unchanging. In the peaks and in the valleys, God is who he is and he will always be and he is for you. And as we sing this next song, I wanna ask you to just stay seated. I want you to reflect on the circumstances of your life. Is there sin you ought to mourn? Confess, repent, be broken by. Are there others in your life who are hurting that you need to mourn? Is there suffering in your own life that you've been hiding and covering and, and as we sing allow the Holy Spirit to move